Well, hello and welcome to this seventh edition of the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. Thanks for joining us. And uh, today we are celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And here to chat with us about that is Brian Hansen. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Looking, been looking forward to it. So glad to join you today. Well, and Brian is the, the Assistant Professor of Humanities and Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary. He's done research work out in uh, St. Andrews in Scotland. Scotland. Now, Brian, are, have you gotten your, your doctorate yet? Can I call you Dr. Hansen now? That is correct. Yeah, it's completely done. Okay, awesome. Dr. Hansen, welcome to the podcast. Um, and you've also you've also done some work at, at Southern Seminary there in Louisville. So, uh, and you've done a lot of your work dealing with uh, specifically the English Reformation, uh, but certainly uh, you know what you're talking about when it comes to the the Reformation. So that's that's why you're on. So, talk to us about what when we talk about the Protestant Reformation, um, how do we actually define that? Yeah, so that's a big term. Uh, right. In history, uh, in terms of historical theology, when we look at the term Protestant Reformation, referring to specifically a, a big movement in the 16th century uh, that involved primarily Martin Luther, but a number of other reformers as well, um, that basically these men uh, started to question the tr- traditions of the Catholic, the Holy Catholic hmm. Church the Roman Catholic Church, and uh, they came to understand the Bible in terms of the Bible has sole authority over uh, people's lives, and that authority should supersede or uh, dominate everything else, including church authority, papal authority, and so forth. And when Luther, among others, started to question the authority of the Holy Catholic Church, um, this movement started to pick up steam, uh, started in Germany, of course, and not only did many Germans follow the movement of Martin Luther, but you had other countries, uh, France, and Holland, and uh, England, Scotland, um, Switzerland, and others. Just this, this movement was a snowball effect and involved many other reformers other than Martin Luther, but typically we, we attribute Martin Luther to his start, although I would argue from a historian standpoint there are what we call the pre-reformers. We usually refer to Huss, John Huss, as well as um, John Wycliffe in England, who are attributed to starting to bring in some of the principles of Sola Scriptura. Um, but uh, a lot of Reformation historians have, and I think rightfully so, have attributed Martin Luther to starting this movement. The term Protestant Reformation also brings up the idea of a protest. It's a protest movement. Right. The Protestant was given because it was a protest movement against uh, the Roman Catholic Church um, and protesting against the abuse of the Catholic Church in various ways. Um, in, in Martin Luther's day, it was specifically the idea of uh, this idea of the uh, – of purgatory and and relatives and people loved ones many time purgatory and the uh, the event that a lot of historians attribute Martin Luther's indignation with the Roman Catholic Church was Johannes Tetzel mm. and his visiting of of the town um, in fifteen seventeen spring fifteen seventeen he visited Wittenberg and he's going all throughout Germany but he's 
making these emotional pleas and causing people to to believe their loved ones are in purgatory and suffering. And he says, if you buy these indulgences, uh, you will save, cut off some years of purgatory mm. from your relatives. And Luther says, Luther hears about it. He doesn't actually, we don't think actually attended these, but he heard from his parishioners um, and got really indignant. And this protest movement started as a result of that uh, in the 95 Theses and so forth. So that's in a nutshell sure. uh, the Protestant Reformation. Let's back up a second because when you talk about leaving the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. uh, in, our, in our modern context, if I were to leave the Catholic Church, that's fine. I just go to the other church down the street, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be Lutheran or Presbyterian, Congregational, Baptist. And it's not a big deal. Uh, but at that time, the Catholic Church was not just uh, one of many churches. And really, um, even to label it as a mere church may mm. be misleading because it was certainly a, a political stronghold as well. So talk to us a little bit about what that really meant to, to leave the Catholic Church. Yes. So it's a, it was a monumental substantial thing to to leave the holy catholic church because that's the mother church often called the mother church and uh to to leave it was to to leave over a thousand years of religious tradition of theology of teaching of biblical interpretation and as you correctly noted there's not a local baptist church or local um reformed church to go to if you leave the catholic church if you leave the catholic church you are you are in effect putting your own body and your own physical mm. life at risk. It is a dangerous world. The Protestant Reformation world is a dangerous world to live in to protest against the Holy Catholic Church. Right. And so we often associate martyrdom to that time period, rightly yeah. so. You have lots of martyrs uh, because to leave the church wasn't simply just walk away from church and find another congregation. You would be a marked man or a marked woman or a marked child in some cases. Um, we have counts of children and mothers and women actually being put to death in very cruel ways. Um, but Martin Luther's head was on the line for after 1521, after he was uh, declared a heretic at the Diet of Worms in 1521. He was a marked man the rest of his life. Now, God preserved him, and he died a natural death, but many were not as fortunate. Right. Um, so a lot of them had to go on hiding, like Luther. He did not have a regular life after that. He had to go constant hiding. He was often protected by uh, Frederick de Wise, his, his patron, as well as other people as well, too. So it was a normal life if you decided to be a Protestant. Uh, you were not protected in most cases. Now, that changed. Uh, over course of time um, in Germany, uh, some of the provinces, as well as in um, in England, uh, especially too, it changed uh, that you would have some times that would be a safe time to be a Protestant. Other times it would be a very dangerous time to be a Protestant. Mm. A lot of it depended upon who the monarch was. A lot of it depended upon who the bishop was of the of, of the province or or the um, uh, town, as the case may be. Um, but yes, it was a it was a very s- serious time, and I think. Uh, as Christians, as we look back today, uh, look back 500 years ago, the concept of religious liberty is a real yeah. treasure, a precious, precious thing that we have that God has given us. And that is something that was not taken for granted back back then. It right. was a very rare thing to – for many, many years of the, of the actual Reformation, there was – your life was precious, and yeah. you thank God for any day that you could live as a Christian. Well, let's continue the story with, with Luther. You mentioned uh, his problems with purgatory 
and the sale of indulgences. You had six uh, slick salesmen like Tetzel and others who were basically filling the coffers of the church uh, through the manipulation of, of the common people. Um, so continue the story with us with Luther, because it doesn't stop with just purgatory or indulgences, but gets into much broader and bigger and uh, yeah. gospel issues. Correct, exactly. So the sale of indulgences troubled Luther greatly, but hmm. his story goes a couple of years before that. He started to go through his personal spiritual journey as a monk in uh, in Wittenberg he started to he was not only a priest but he was a university professor at the university of Wittenberg mm. a very good one according to um accounts that we've seen by historians and by colleagues of his day it was in about uh, around 1515 to 1516 we have records of him teaching lectures on the epistle to the romans by paul and during these lectures in his preparation studies we have accounts of Luther uh, in his writings, uh, journals in particular, spiritually and emotionally, sometimes physically. He was a very extroverted man who would often give accounts of wrestling with the devil, he, was, he would call it, um, and actually cursing the devil. And so um, with all of those things that we see in history, uh, uh, with Luther's life during his time, he is wrestling with the text of Romans. In particular, Romans 1 is, mm. is especially verse 17 of Romans 1, is the text that really uh, God uses to speak to his heart. And he attributes that to that moment of his own personal conversion, Romans 1, 17. Mm. Um, and uh, many historians, uh, biographies of Luther would uh, attribute that to this understanding of God's righteousness, um, a just man lives by faith and not by his own works. Um, and one of one of the wonderful quotes of Luther, if I can quote Luther briefly here with just one single sentence, he says, after he had understood and grappled with Romans 117, he says, quote, now I felt as if I had been born again. The gates have been opened and I entered paradise itself. A direct quote from Luther uh, as he explains his conversion. And it was this the hinges of of Romans one seventeen that opened doors for him for yeah. justification by faith alone. Mm. Uh, and he, he was so liberated after that, his preaching, his lectures take on a completely different tone where he emphasizes faith and faith alone, right. not in the church traditions, not in uh, the sale of indulgences, not in counting beads, not in going to Rome for pilgrimage, but in actually believing in Jesus Christ by faith. This happens in around 15, 15, 15, 16. So that leads to 1517 when Tetzel enters Wittenberg. Luther was extremely suspicious and already had a solid understanding in his mind of this idea of justification by faith. And when Tetzel drives fear into Luther's parishioners, Luther is very upset by this. And this drives him to get the 95 theses posted upon mm. the castle church door or the, the castle door of, um, of Wittenberg in, uh, of course, October 31st, 1517. And it's very interesting in those 95 theses, the, the theme that's going on there is sola scriptura, sola fide. It's not just the indulgences. He mentions indulgences, but some of the indulgences, some of the indulgences, including the first one, the first indulgence actually has to do with repentance, right. that the life of 
a Christian is a life of constantly repenting. And I think that's a one of the great doctrines that comes from the Reformation, hmm. that faith is a daily activity. It's not just a one-time believe in Jesus and then live my life. No, it's a daily uh, believing in Jesus, daily repenting of one's sins and asking God to forgive uh, you of your sins every single day. Um and so this is this comes from ninety five theses, thesis number one, and the rest of the theses are very, very powerful in questioning uh, the authority of the Pope and the authority of the Church, mm. and it all centers around this idea of Romans one seventeen, justification right. by faith alone. So, yes, the Protestant Reformation, uh, the German Reformation in particular, is, is obviously. More than just the self indulgence, right. is more than just papal authority. It is an issue of faith and the faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what completely sparks the movement and mm. spreads to countries like England, Switzerland, France. Well, let's take a second and, and just read through Romans 117. Uh, we get into our, our, our second, uh, well, in our, in our typical show format, we're going we're to depart from that a little bit the next two broadcasts. Uh, but we talk about relevant scriptures and, and Romans one seventeen, uh, for in for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, we mm. talked a little bit on a, in a previous broadcast about the idea of justification, justification mm-hmm. by faith, and it's um, I, I can't remember if it was Calvin or Luther who said this. Basically, that it, it, it's the swing on which the the Reformation swung, um, mm-hmm. and so kind of. Go over that again with us. How important is this idea of justification by faith, not by works, not by tradition, mm-hmm. not by uh, whether it's sale of indulgences or uh, whatever we're putting our trust in. It's it's a justification by faith that opens the door of heaven. Correct, yes. It's a very pivotal understanding in the Reformation, Protestant Reformation mind. So uh, – to, to give a little bit of context here, the, the Catholic medieval understanding was so dependent upon not just faith. Now, the Catholic Church did teach faith. They, no, none of them denied the work of faith. But the problem was the Catholic medieval mind equated faith and works in the same playing field. And, um, and papal authority was, was part of it as well. And Luther's problem with the Catholic Church was that they equated us to the same level. And he said, yeah. no, it's faith alone. Paul teaches this very clearly, he says. It's sola fide, it's faith alone without works. Um, so this is a radical concept. I think we yeah. take this for granted. We think, okay, yeah, so we believe faith alone, Jesus alone, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Titus 3, 5, yes. Um, but this is a radical concept. Yeah. Um, the, the medieval, the, the medieval uh, layman is going to go to a Catholic cathedral and he's going to be taught that Ephesians 2 a 9 yes you believe in faith but works is also part of it too that's what the priest yeah. is saying that's what the Pope is saying and so to have a guy like Luther all of a sudden uh, produce these pamphlets and these treatises out in the printing presses to say no it's not works it's not pilgrimage it's not yeah. uh, penitence uh, or penance it's belief faith alone as a gift by God, but faith in love in Jesus Christ alone. And so this is a radical concept um, where there's no mixture at all. He's isolating faith to extreme importance and so yeah. crucial to one's spiritual life and 
spiritual death if you don't have faith alone. And this is what Luther preached, and this makes the Roman Catholic Church authority extremely upset with Luther because he is undermining the very foundation and pillars of the Catholic Church. And so that's why that's why the term heresy is such a powerful one in the 1500s, because Luther attacks the very pillars of the Catholic Church, faith and works and traditions mixed together. Luther says, no, it's faith alone, isolate faith, faith alone, Ephesians 2.89. Luther is a heretic, Mm. the Pope says. And so I think it's important to go back thinking, okay, this is what it looks like to to quote, quote, attack the Catholic Church. Yeah. Romans 117. This is what makes Luther and Calvin and uh, Zwingli and, and Tyndale her- heretics. Right. Um, so, yes, very powerful concept. And this is what, as you noted correctly, uh, this is the pivotal hinge in which the Reformation swings. Well, and, and I would contend, you, you said it's, it's a, it was a radical concept then, and, it's, and I think it's still a radical concept now. Um, it's just our different view of works. Uh, we're yes. not talking about necessarily penance or sure. um, confessing our, our sin to, to a priest or saying the Hail Marys or, or whatever. But even within our uh, Reformed churches, Baptist churches, uh, we still seem to have that, that – we just can't separate that idea. Our faith has to be built upon something that we do. Whether it's you know faithful church attendance or my my private time every morning or uh, how much I give, it just seems like we we have to attach uh, some sort of worth and value to what we do. We have to bring something to the equation, um, and it we're still fighting that battle, that Reformation battle here today. Absolutely correct. That's right. Different context, but same yeah. doctrine at stake as well. Yes. Luther was dealing with like, a thousand year iron grip, so to speak, of Catholic medieval theology. And we're dealing with obviously with different things now with culture and worldliness right. and, and all these other philosophies. But yes, the this is where the Reformation is so mm. so helpful and so healthy for us today, so relevant. It's the same faith, it's the same gospel, it's the same Christ uh, that we need for salvation, and Luther is very helpful in us Mm. us today. All right, so we move into our our next section, dangers to avoid. Um, You know, one of the the criticisms I hear uh, of the Reformation, especially from the Catholic perspective, is, well, look at what you've done. You've opened up the door to every sort of schism and every sort of division now. You've got thousands of different Protestant denominations and so on and so forth, and you've just brought division within the body of Christ that wasn't there before. Uh, Do you see that as a valid concern? I mean, you know, you and I are both Baptists, and it seems like one of our favorite things to do is split congregations and, you know, (laughs) splinter off. the. So is there there a valid point in that criticism, or— uh, is this something? I mean, I think we both agree this is something that had to take place. Uh, but has the door been opened? Pandora's box opened up, so to speak. Sure. Well, to some degree, um, to some degree, it, it could be valid. I, I think ultimately it's not. But let me explain what I mean by that. So, um, in church history, there always, especially after the Reformation, there, um, but even before then. There's always been these groups, and um, in, in some cases we can call them cults, where that interpret the Bible according to their own whims and preferences. Mm. So um, even after Reformation, you have you have groups like some would consider the Anabaptists as a mm. 
as a kind of a, a diversion or a kind of a radical right. extreme version of the Protestants. The Protestants had no dealings with, with the Anabaptists. Um, mm. The reformers were very upset with what the Anabaptists were trying to do. Um, but that's another discussion. The, the, the reformers tried very hard to unite um, their groups together. They realized that the charge of schism could have been valid. And so yeah. in the early years of the Reformation, especially the 15, between 1530 and 1560, there, there were many attempts to unite various uh, groups of Protestants together to try to agree on issues such as baptism. Um, uh, major one um, during the 1500s actually was not baptism, but it was communion, the Lord's Supper of the Eucharist. And there were major divisions between Luther and Zwingli and, and Calvin on these issues. And so it would cause, as you know, the Catholics to point fingers and say, look, these guys can't even agree on how to 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 remember the Lord's Supper and how to how to worship. Um, and that's another issue. Worship wars continue, were, were very big with Protestants during this time. Right. So from a from one standpoint, you could say, yeah, I, that, there are schisms going on during this time. They're they're real and they're very. They they divided some good men, mm. both in the German Reformation as well as in the English Reformation in particular. But but at the end of the day, what every reformer united around were the key doctrines, what we mm. know today as the five solas. Right. They all surround themselves around key doctrines. Romans 1.17, sola fide, justification by faith alone. Even those who disagree on the way to worship uh, or if they should have music in church or whether they should sing just the Psalms or whether mm. they should have a, 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 a presence as Luther uh, argued under the table, uh, con- consubstantiation idea. Um, even though there will be differences on that, they all agreed on what we call the cardinal doctrines, yeah. the first tier level doctrines of of um, the faith, the Trinity, and uh, Jesus's uh, atonement on the cross, and justification by faith alone, and so forth. Um, they all agreed around those, and, and right. at the end of the day, there was extreme unity on those things. Yeah. And when they gathered together, there was a unity that was very obvious. That it was uh, very obvious that this this idea of unity in the faith uh, in the gospel. And so, uh, while you see schisms here and there, and even today among Protestants, you still see schisms. But even at the core is, is the gospel. I think there's right. unity, healthy love, and unity of the gospel. And acknowledging their brothers, we have different opinions, whether different opinions today of baptism or different opinions of uh, of the last days. We still gather around the gospel, and I think that's actually yeah. I think difference is a healthy thing. I would argue you can even see this in the New Testament. There's differences of how to minister. I mean, right. Paul and Silas had differences, uh, or not Paul and Silas, but Paul and Barnabas had um, differences on, on on ministry and how and who should be included and who should not. So I think differences can be a healthy thing yeah. to actually. Um, increase uh, the body and the health of it, but as long as that health is centered around the core right. doctrines of the gospel. Okay. And if you're wondering what those five solas are that Brian mentioned, uh, we're going to be doing a series on that shortly, so so hang on to that. In terms of application, we'll have to wrap things up with application. Um, you know, one of the things that it's not in my... Uh, I'm going rogue here. I'm going off the notes. Um, you mentioned the 95 Theses and, and, and the idea of repentance... And, and Luther said there in the very first uh, statement that 
the entire life of the believer is to be one of repentance. And I think that's uh, one of the things that we can apply to our lives is this idea of we are conscious of our sin, but we are also conscious of the forgiveness and grace of God. And so when we realize that, yes, we are going to be continue, we're going to be good repenters, so to speak, um, daily identifying uh, what needs to be abhorred in our flesh and uh, experiencing anew the grace of God. Uh, but I'm going to put that question to you. How do we apply these uh, these reformational truths here today, 500 years later? Yeah, very good. And and that's that's a very important question, Kevin, because the Reformation is not just a historical movement. It's not just something we talk about in seminary or in right. church history class. It's something that has great ramifications. It should have a uh, uh, impact upon our spirituality, and I really believe that Reformation doctrine can actually do that. Uh, so, you know, when you start off, for example, with the idea of uh, sola gratia, grace alone, the idea of God's grace is a universal thing. We daily, I daily need God's grace yeah. to deliver me from sin. Uh, again, not just a one-time punctiliar activity. It's not just a um, Grace for salvation. I need grace in my sanctification. Right. I need grace to kill my sin. Um, I need grace to um, fight the battles. I need grace to raise my children and to be yeah. a better husband to my to my wife. Um, these are things that are extremely devotional. And again, reading Ephesians chapter two is a wonderful, healthy thing to remind us of God's grace and but God you know, who delivered us from the domain of darkness right. and. And, and for by grace are we saved through faith. Uh, the idea of solus Christus, another uh, one of the solas, uh, the supremacy of Christ in all things, Colossians yeah. 1 comes in my mind, and the importance of we need Christ for every single thing. Uh, Christ is my life, and Christ is mm. the head of the church, and Christ is the source of all of my spiritual needs and the source of my salvation, of course. All things cohere in Christ, and Paul's doctrine of, of the supremacy mm. of Christ in Colossians 1 is so Helpful. It's not just a Reformation dusty doctrine. It's a it's a, a doctrine that that affects my spirituality today. And yeah. I need Christ in all things. And I think the one other sola uh, to touch on as well would be soli soli deo gloria mm. to the glory of God alone. And that is again a Pauline theme that you see right. in Ephesians. Everything points to the glory of God. Everything is going to the glory of God. My salvation is ultimately for God's glory. Uh, the the punishment of, of evil and the wicked mm. is for glory of God alone. The end of all things and the fulfillment of of all prophecies and Jesus's second advent is for the glory of God alone. Everything, everything that happens in my life, whether it's a cancer in my family or a car accident or or just trouble at home or um, types of sin, everything, even quote-unquote bad things that happen to us are all for God's glory alone. Right. And again, it's a mystery. In many ways, we don't understand all that, but but Luther and Calvin and other reformers really touched on those points that everything leads to yeah. one pinnacle, and that is God's glory alone, right. solely Deo Gloria. All right, well, let's wrap things up here with our, our recommended resources. For those, I mean, we haven't even just scraped the surface of the Protestant Reformation, uh, even in Germany and then spreading throughout Europe. And, and next week we're going to talk about uh, the English Reformation. But what are some recommended resources that you would say, hey, you want to dig a little deeper, these are some good places to go? 
Yes. So it's been neat to see here in this 500th anniversary a number of books coming out of the Reformation, mm. just scores of them, but uh, don't have time to highlight all of them. Many of them are good. Uh, one that I highly recommend that's very helpful in understanding the effects of the German Reformation and Luther himself in particular, his role, is called a book by um, actually my PhD supervisor in St. Andrews. His name is Andrew Pedigree, and he wrote a book called Brand Luther. That was published um, about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, in preparation for this year. And Brand Luther is basically a book uh, arguing that Luther was the mastermind behind the printing press in Germany and Wittenberg, and he personally supervised the printing of all his tracts uh, and hmm. pamphlets and sermons. Now, he wasn't the one that owned the printing press, but he supervised his printer that helped him get the message out of the gospel through print. And he right. supervised, Luther himself supervised the printing of title pages, the actual font, the illustrations, hmm. because Luther, he wanted to make the gospel beautiful. So he wanted to have the best, use the best paper. He wanted the best illustrations on the market. He wanted to beat the Catholic printing press. So it's a very fascinating book, and it shows how the hmm. rough just spread through the printing press in Germany and beyond. So I would highly recommend that book. Uh, and then another author, a couple other authors to look forward to in Reformation uh, scholarship would be Alec Ryrie. Uh, Alec Ryrie is, is especially um, very helpful in the English Reformation, mm. looking at uh, how the English Church Church of England develops uh, from the 1530s onward. And then another author, great author, is uh, Dermot McCulloch, uh, Oxford uh, scholar, and he writes much on Reformation, uh, both German and um, English Protestant Reformation as well, mm. too. Especially in, he has a great book on, on Thomas Cramner, which is the definitive uh, mm. biography of Thomas Cramner. Uh, and I've read through it. And it's a very, very well-written, very helpful uh, biography of Thomas Cramner. So those those are uh, a handful of the many good great resources right. out on the Reformation. And uh, I, I would just add a couple here that um, I'm looking at. Uh, Roland Baton is probably the, the classic mm, yes. uh, introduction to the Reformation. Here I stand, yeah. uh, yes. even though I guess it's debatable whether he actually said those the, those three words. <laughs> um, in my mind, he always has, whether that's actual reality or not. Um, that sounds horrible for, to say. but uh, <laughs> uh, And then Bondage of the Will, written by Luther. Um, the introduction by, by J.I. Packer is, is excellent, uh, right. even just worth the price of the book there. Um, but getting into Luther's mind um, is, is worth that read. And then if you're looking for a lighter read, um, really I, I found fascinating John Piper's little biography of Luther in uh, The mm-hmm. Legacy of Sovereign Joy uh, was a good little uh, pastoral look yes. at, at the life of Luther. Very so good. Brian, thank you so much for, for joining us here this week. And I want to thank all of you for joining us and, uh, come back next week. We're, uh, Brian's going to stick around. We're going to talk about how the uh, Reformation continues to spread throughout the world, and especially into England. So have a great rest of your week, and don't forget to join us next time.